Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking to Rosie Funder about ambiguity, the value of uncertainty in the essay form, and, well, for a while, she interviews me. We also talk about known Melbourne-based naughty boy Jack Venning, which we both feel bad about and know we shouldn't have done, but hey, it happened, and that's that. Now, before we begin, just some regular housekeeping. Uh, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Now, on to the show. Rosie's kept the writer's room sparse and simple. It is how it often is. A few books on the table, a couple lamps. In the sparseness, I notice how much it's changed. I realize the baking paper Tamara Lazaroff put up in the windows to diffuse light in the name of privacy is still there. And people have left fragments of text around the room, some with attributions, some anonymously. I know who wrote most of them, but some of them I really don't. On one wall is written, A house on the edge of a cliff and hollyhocks and old-fashioned flowers all round, and good books, and God's own wind coming over the sea. Nothing of all this sordidness. Hollyhocks and God's own wind blowing cleanly over the waves, facing the sunrise. And above it, in both English and Macedonian, with the traveller, joy. And now, here, and not travelling, quite stationary indeed, Rosie Funder. The statement, change your hair, change your life. Uh, do you believe it? You know, <laughs> you know, Jono. No, I'm like, is that even a, like a, a statement, a phrase? I like, that's not, I'm not even familiar with that. Change your hair, change your life. You've never heard change your hair, change your I've, life? Yeah, which makes sense because I've like changed my hair like four, three, four times in the last month. So no one passed that on to me. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had four different life changes over the past month? No, I can count one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I for for context, you yeah. you walked into House Conspiracy today with with different hair. Yeah, I'm brunette now. You're brunette now. <laughs> um, you're off brand for Melbourne, as you were saying yeah. to me earlier. Well, I'm here for a month, so I have to like blend in. <laughs> so I had to return to no. I just wanted something more natural because I was like peroxide bleachy, and it was getting a little. You know, when you get responses, like, especially from, like, boomers, I guess, like, uh, people's mums, like, wow, Rose, like, it's a really strong look. Like, it's a really strong vibe. Like, strong is such a veil. <laughs> strong is strong is. It's like, oh, there were some choices made. Yeah, Like, yeah. it's that sort of you certainly, You've certainly got that, yeah, your hair's working for you in some way. Yeah. That was, like, my boyfriend's auntie and mum. So yeah, I obviously good. just like caved to that kind of matriarchal pressure. <laughs> oh my God, not, not the matriarchy. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. far more insidious than the patriarchy. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, look, I'm yet to see it in practice, so I can't, I can't <laughs> say for certain. Um, but the Amazons were pretty spooky. The Amazons, yeah, the, like the Amazonian women. Yeah, is that, yeah. Is, that, is that a real thing? I don't know. I don't know. I really, yeah. I often like when I'm like, I want to be broad-shouldered and Amazonian. And I use it as a word to describe what I want to look like, but I don't know if it's real or based in reality. I imagine, surely. Surely, surely it's real. Yeah. I've never heard a made-up story. Yeah. <laughs> You're not a fiction writer at all. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I'm the only one who writes lies. <laughs> Everything else is true. Um, I'm the only liar here. Um, all right, let's start this podcast mm-hmm. proper. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is all like, what's your hair look like? Yeah. Visual gag. <laughs> yeah, Visual totally. gag. <laughs> um, so you are an essay writer, yep. Rosie Fonda, um, and you write essays. And I kind of want to go like straight into your practice. Sometimes <laughs> I dally around a little bit on this podcast, but I want to go straight in. Yeah. You write essays that are doused in uncertainty. That is your word, yeah. They Maybe are. you don't use doused, but you... <laughs> I absolutely do not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I try to, like, create a sense of uncertainty or at least interrogate my own ambivalence in my essays. Yeah. And what what is the... A, a traditionally, say, for an essay, traditionally an essay is an explication of a point or an argument. That's a very... Yeah, there is that. That is an essay, but... Um, quite quickly the essay kind of became a way to like just explore thoughts really associatively, like very quickly. There's that kind of academic essay, sure, which is like the logical progression. Yeah, I guess I mean sort of the way that most people would think about an essay. Yeah. Oh, my God, I write stuff that is so far from that. Um, Yeah, essay and especially like the personal lyric, lyrical essay is more known as like uh, very digressive and like really based on kind of yeah, thought to thought. It doesn't have to have like an overriding theme. Um, the whole point is really to undo any sense of certainty or not not to kind of have this overriding argument, but to kind of like hint in a few directions or like, you know, just kind of like hint towards fragments of an idea and, and, and then have like contradictions and undermine a point that you've just made. Like, yeah, so when I say like I like, look at ideas of uncertainty in my essays. It's nothing new. Like that is like synonymous with the essay form, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. So for you then, what is, what is the value, I guess, of uncertainty in an essay for you as a practitioner? Yeah. I don't know. I just felt like it really stemmed from like my personal experience in the world. Like just, I would always be like quite in awe of people who were like able to talk emphatically or stridently and with conviction. Um, And like, I absolutely am so bad at doing that. And I kind of like talk with a certain tentativity or like, that's quite natural to me to be quite doubtful. And I don't know where that comes from, but whatever, I wanted to represent that on the page. Um, So the essay form just kind of presented itself as the best way to do that. I guess. Yeah. And also like, you know, there were just a few kind of ideas that I wanted to write about that I hadn't landed on an opinion about. So instead of, but I still wanted to write about them. So yeah, the essay was a way I could kind of just like talk about something without making any conclusions. So is it almost, is it almost like process based art in a way that it's sort of like you're not a, you're not really explicating an argument, say, yeah. like a column in the Australian would, mm. um, for instance. <laughs> um, you're, is it, the outcome is almost like part of your thought process? Is that sort of a fair statement? Or Yeah, absolutely. It is totally um, privileging process over any kind of sense of finality or, yeah, any outcome. Yeah, totally. Which and- is quite freeing because, like, yeah, you don't have to have this finished product like it should feel a little bit unfinished and a little bit unformed or or not I don't know not unformed because like good essays do feel like really like 
great to read and you feel nourished by them or whatever. But, yeah, this sense of not having fully arrived is kind of nice. Mm, yeah, and it's – yeah, you're right. It's liberating as a practitioner. Um, yeah. What do you think – sort of looking at the, the other side of it, what do you think is the, the value of um, these sort of essays for the reader? Um, I can only speak to, like, how I've responded to certain essays and definitely it's just, like, this feeling of, oh, like, you know, someone also hasn't reached any conclusions or, like, there's still value in discussing something even if you can't <clears throat> kind of... Um, talk about it conclusively or like if you're not trying to advance an argument about it one way or the other yeah definitely like for me when I was reading these essays it was like oh they're just like tossing these ideas around and looking at it from all angles and that's enough like there doesn't have to be an overriding message yeah because I just can't write like that (laughs) yeah so it's partially about sort of creating a maybe a more holistic view of a thing for for people to sort of, is it, is it about opening up new ideas in people's minds? Is it like, do you ever go in or come out of writing something going, that's what I wanted to communicate? Or is it about that process of communication itself? Um, I think, I think for me more, it is about, yeah, that's what I wanted to communicate. Or like most of the time it's like, I wanted to communicate the sense of contradiction that exists within me when I approach an idea so if I've communicated that, that's enough. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, with writing essays, I don't feel some huge catharsis from kind of, yeah, the process of it. Like it definitely, I don't, I don't get that from writing at all. I don't know if you do, but it doesn't feel <laughs> incredibly like cathartic at all. Depends. Some, yeah. I mean, with fiction, I think, I think it's different. Um, if, it, if it's not cathartic, the essay writing process, is it, is it a fast process for you? Is it slow? Is it laborious? Yeah, it's incredibly labored. It's, well, you know, I haven't even written that many essays. Like I'm mostly, when I'm talking to you now, I'm like thinking back to my honors year, which is like 2015, um, like a substantial writing break in between. And honors is different because you have such a tight timeline that you're writing to, but even then, I had to, it was just incredibly hard to get a flow on writing. But again, I wanted to incorporate that sense of like almost like this kind of jolting, like jerking sense into my essays. And so it wasn't as though the essay flowed out from me um, paragraph after paragraph. And so, you know, if you look at some of my essays, there's no sense of like chronology. It's the timeline is kind of distorted and, um, so I guess in that way it represents my thinking kind of accurately. Yeah, I mean, if it's okay, I'm going to read a little excerpt from the essay. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, here we go. Um, everyone strap in. No, uh, because because your your essays, yeah, you, when you talk about that that jerking um, action, it's it's prevalent in the form that you approach your essays with. Like you've got this section where it, it's pretty – Standard, you're talking about uh, a place in, um, you're talking about Brisbane and like being in Brisbane, it's quite narrative. And you go, by the time I actually wake up, the mug of water is cold. From my single mattress on the floor, I look up at mum's bookshelf and take in for the first time the titles that have surrounded me since before I could read. Happy for no reason. Manifest your own destiny. You can heal your life. Becoming your own parent. And those are not listed sort of in a 
traditional sense, but they're, they're there in capitals and they're out. And then you say, you know, each title is a boast or a threat. And that's like, you've written it that way. Yeah. As in how I've displayed the yeah. titles. Yeah yeah. 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 That's funny. Cause I don't think I thought about that decision much. I think I, I saw it in another essay. I think it might have been like a Leslie Jamison essay in her collection, The Empathy Exams. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal collection. <laughs> Absolutely tremendous essay collection. Oh, my God. Some <laughs> of my favorite. <laughs> no, but they are really good. Or like, Did you read that during advanced practice? You know what? I didn't even do advanced practice because I really just screwed up the timeline of my degree much in the same way as I do <laughs> the chronology of my essays. <laughs> I went on exchange, so I just didn't even get to do those those subjects, which was a real shame. And I think ultimately has disadvantaged me, <laughs> but who, who could say? Who could say? Um, but no, I just read them of my own volition. But you know what? I was reading some of these essays just the other week and I don't think I am as like amazed by them anymore. And maybe that's just an issue of it not being the first time, you know, that I'm reading them. But yeah, I kind of balk at her, like, how personal she makes everything. Mm-hmm. But I lapped that up two years ago. And I did my whole honours on personal essays. But now it feels a little um, something. I feel like narcissistic is too easy a word. But, I, yeah, I definitely didn't, yeah, I didn't love it as much. So narcissistic is interesting because you mentioned that your essays are sort of, like, insofar as they privilege process, they're about your own uncertainty. Mm. Other other topics you're approaching now or in the past, sort of, while they're about your uncertainty, they're not about you, or are they about you? But, like, mm. if you see the narcissism as a negative thing. Yeah. You know what? Largely, I don't see it as a negative thing. Okay, But cool. more, more recently, I guess, I just it's just a case of when your sensibilities shift without you really realizing it, mm-hmm. and you return to a text that you haven't looked at in a few years, like, wow, you, that's when you can gauge that progress. Uh, yeah, pro- progress, I guess. Um But yeah, I think you can still like, and this is what I'm trying to do at the moment, what I'm trying to write about is look at something totally external to you. Like it's not a part of my life, but obviously as a writer, you can still bring your voice into it and you can still not come to any conclusion about it. So that's what I'm trying to do more now of like, I'm so sick of mining my life for material. Um, So I've decided to focus one of my essays that I'm writing here on something external to me and it's really free, freeing. Like it's so nice to have like shift my focus elsewhere. Should have done it a lot earlier. Can I ask you what, what you're writing about? Yeah, yeah. I've decided to write about um, what well, is kind of related to me. <laughs> <laughs> you lied. All right. That's how we're going, is it? <laughs> no, I've decided to write about I had one of my oldest friends, probably the, the one guy I've known my whole life. We grew up together in work and our families are still really close. Um, and we were in the same grade at school and kind of led these really parallel lives for ages. But, you know, we haven't kept in touch after school. But I've just been keeping tabs on him online and that kind of thing the way that you normally do. But he's since kind of become this obscene bodybuilder. Um, and it's just incredibly interesting and jarring to see someone kind of become really unrecognisable, like physically, you know, it's really impressive how huge he is. <laughs> his name is Huge Huge, the Dragon Slayer. Um, and he's developed. Is like, that his legal name? <laughs> that's, that's interestingly on the birth certificate. No, he's, <laughs> he was born this way. His parents knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, yeah, he's. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically, 
he's kind of developed this online following. Like he's really gone to great lengths to promote his own persona online and he's kind of like memefied himself and like he's really sought that out. Like personal brand sort of stuff. Totally. But like it, it's kind of, you know, it, it kind of is tongue in cheek or at least as an audience, like me and my friends who are also friends with him or at least were, we're all kind of like really unsure as to whether it is tongue in cheek on his part. Cause it's really hilarious. Like the way he's like, he's kind of using that whole language of like gains and like girth and really playing with that. And it's funny, but then, but he is sincerely doing it. Like he is getting huge and he is going to the gym every day. So it's not, not totally tongue in cheek. Like that's a long game for a gag. Um, so yeah, I'm going to interview him. Like I want to do a kind of profile on him, I guess. And just look at, because largely I want to write a lot of essays around. Largely. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's right. Uh, around the idea of obsession. So totally I want to see where he's obviously obsessed with with exercise, with fitness, his own image, um, and just with becoming well-known. And I want to see where that's come from, what prompted it. Because it really, as someone who was just looking on, came out of kind of nowhere. Like he was just regular old Gene and then one day he just dedicated himself to this and it's just his life now. So I really want to... Yeah, spend a few days with him, maybe go to the gym with him, like follow him around, see what comes of it. Yeah, right. So like sort of investigating that monomania, but not only the monomania, it seems, and maybe like comment on this a little bit, it seems you're interested in the way that he is narrativizing his own monomania and the way he's Mm. communicating it. Yeah, that's interesting. I I hadn't really thought too much about that. And that, especially because he really was throwing himself into this kind of character of the slayer, the dragon slayer. (laughs) So that's what he calls himself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, It's hilarious. But recently he's kind of retreated, from what I can tell, from that online brand. Like he no longer has a Facebook just for that persona. So he's obviously like taking a step back from that kind of self-mythologizing impulse. Um, So I'll have to ask him about that. What prompted that? Yeah. Yeah, right. And almost trying to capture maybe his uncertainty as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've kind of like forgotten that I want to talk about obsession, obviously, but I also have to remember that I do, I am interested in uncertainty. They kind of seem at the, on the surface to be a bit at odds because like obsession maybe implies like a total kind of commitment or dedication, like total sense of certainty. Um. But, yeah, it's interesting that he is hedging or, like, he he is someone who is only ever going to do something wholeheartedly, but now he's maybe retreating and second-guessing that, undermining his previous kind of desires or whatever. And so you mentioned that sort of you're not entirely sure where your sort of uncertainty comes from. Have mm. you... Were you uncertain as a kid? Were you one of those sort of, I don't know, like were you one of those sort of gallant kids who had just like determined things or were you were you quite unsure? I mean, I wasn't like known for being an unsure child. <laughs> like, you were like, in the local <laughs> newspaper? I wasn't racked. Well, maybe I was racked with indices. No, I, I was just like very bog standard <laughs> as a kid. Um, I think what I was was sensitive which maybe isn't too rare but like um 
And maybe that has morphed into this kind of resistance to, I don't know, a sense of certainty. But I wasn't, I don't know, like, I think it was the the uncertainty for me, you know, occurred later. Mm -hmm. Because I, like I've told you a bit before, I came from this community. um, And I was kind of grown up with this, like, overwhelming sense of certainty in the way that maybe anyone who comes from, who's like grown up with like a faith, I guess, it's very like re- this ready-made solution almost or like way of thinking that's kind of, um, yeah, in front of you. Um, but then so this community was really great and and I really like was happy to grow up in it and there was just like a kind of the, the guy who started the community and, you know, we were very much taught to – Oh, I obviously respect him and never talk ill of him and like revere that and what he'd done in the school that he'd started. But I think as I got older, around my teens, that perfect image of him, of the school, of the whole community cracked a little bit. So it was that undoing that maybe bred in me, uh, not a sense of suspicion, but yeah, that kind of idea of, well, nothing's truly ever certain. I mean, everyone probably goes through this process of realizing that obviously but mine just happened that way yours was kind of intensified because of the the small the smallness of of your world up to that point yeah absolutely what was it's okay if you don't want to say but what was the sort of instigating moment where where maybe the ambiguity of things arose um that's the thing there was definitely not one moment um and even now (laughs) It feels like a really long process of, of shedding that steadfast belief in this one person and in the community and in the school. Um, yeah, it, it, there's definitely nothing. There was no one thing that happened that was like, wow, that's it. I can no longer. <laughs> that's me. Yeah, sure. This isn't Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, um, my God. He has three heads. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like that. Uh, no, not at all. It was. And I think. I came really late to it. Like I think I was quite naive and still am to a degree and it's been a, yeah, a long process of shedding certain, the will to like still totally believe in what this community was doing and this one guy. Um, And it's a matter of, you know, just hearing stuff really randomly over the years um, and not knowing hearing stuff that you didn't know growing up and not knowing what to believe and still not knowing like, what what was true what is true so it's just like you're kind of caught in this limbo of yeah what to believe and so you have to I don't know just reconcile yourself to that to dwelling in that uncertainty and so does and then that sort of feeling retrospectively does that make you more suspicious of things in the present Hmm. (laughs) um no I don't think so I mean I'm not gonna join a cult now. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to though, but yeah. you decided not to. Uh, but I don't think I. I don't think I'm like super skeptical as a person. If anything, yeah, I think I'm still a little too gullible, and I have that this naivety kind of written into my yeah being or something. Yeah, I don't think I'm extra suspicious of stuff. <laughs> it's probably a better way to be. Than yeah. sort of overly cynical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it hasn't made me, yeah, it hasn't like scarred me and now I'm like 
I can I can't see the good in anyone. Like not it, that's the thing. It's like nothing that drastic has happened, and not, it's not that sensational. It's just this slow slipping of yeah, okay, it wasn't exactly as good, or it was well intentioned, but it just wasn't. Nothing can you know community can kind of be in its heyday forever and when you get a group of people together politics arise and yeah and especially when there are issues of money and Mm -hmm. hierarchies of power of course people stuff's going to go down but I was a kid when all that happened so I was oblivious to it obviously right you only had a certain level of access to that information absolutely and beyond just being a kid I'm from a family who was really quite dedicated in their kind of commitment to this community and so never would never talk about any of any gossip or anything they heard. And even when families chose to leave the community, you know, that was never really talked about. It was really kind of hush hush. And so a lot of my friends who were from families who were kind of kind of disavowed the community or, you know, left, they were privy to a lot of the the stuff that was being said. And yeah, I just wasn't part of my language growing up. Yeah, right. I'm talking about it so vaguely. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 no. I totally understand. I, 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 the narrative of it is more interesting maybe than the details. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this podcast is about you, not the specifics of the, the community. Um, but if it was a book, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. would be like the community with like capital T, capital C. Are you saying that or are you asking that? <laughs> I'm declaring it (laughs) with like total certainty. I'm ready to accept it. I remember actually, because I did write about the community for one of my honours essays and Mm. I did, I did end up just capitalising the C and keeping the T lowercase. Well, that's Um, a choice. If you're interested. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, it's funny, like I obviously experience, I'm still kind of not beholden to this idea of the community, but I don't really want to publish that essay yeah uh and I don't know where that's coming from like this sense of allegiance still to not not speaking ill of it or this sense that I I know that I don't truly know what happened um so I don't want to put anything out there because I'm so darn uncertain (laughs) I don't know right right um actually yeah that's there's a question given that your essay is Largely hinge on uncertainty yeah. and your practice does. How, how do you know when, and I mean, you can ask this to any artist, but I think for you it's a little bit like there's a specifics to this that maybe you'll be able to shed light on. How do you know when something's done or ready or, mm. you know, able to be released, I suppose? Like I know there's the whole sort of art is never finished, only abandoned, but I feel like that, which is so melodramatic, but, um, yeah. but I feel like there's something interesting in sort of the idea of, writing uncertainty yeah absolutely and you know I feel like I'm so at the early stages of like writing and like yeah as a writer that I'm I don't even I haven't even written enough to know how I work with it to know like oh yes I know when I'm done with writing when this happens like I still have no idea (laughs) like I had my honors year and of course you had that external somebody saying, yeah, no, this is good to go. Or like, so I was like, I had that helping hand. But nowadays, again, I'm always right. Like if I'm writing, I'm usually writing to like a kind of due date or deadline and it's always incredibly <laughs> rushed. Um, so that's why this, 
yeah, this residency is particularly interesting because there's no pressure to really have a finished product by the showcase. It's really letting me kind of sit with it and like be a little more organic about it. Um, and so far I really haven't written all that much. Like I'm still Don't tell me that. <laughs> stuck in this brainstorming <laughs> stage. Um, which is nice. So maybe, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I really am not sure. Do you, do you have a moment where you're like, for me, I've written this and it, I can tell it's good to be released into the world. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I mean, I, there are a few sort of ways of testing. I mean, for instance, you know, showing it to someone and, and a couple people like whose, whose tastes align with me mm. and with my own, um, that helps because obviously they can go like they can tell you if something is awful. Um, but also, um, it's the moment when I I'm editing a draft on paper and I'm changing something back that I've already changed f- oh, to yeah. something new, and then I'm changing it back and then I'm changing it new again. Once that sort of bounce happens a few mm. times, and that's like the only thing really going on. I'll go, okay, (laughs) like these are all trivial word choices. Well, not trivial, like all word choices mean something, but once it's down to sort of that, that word level nitpicking, it's like, I don't think Mm. you're ever going to stop that as a writer. And you hear a lot of writers talking about that, how, yeah, my work was published in the New Yorker and I looked at it and I took a red pen to it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's sort of how I know. But again, like fiction is a, a story, like, there, you know, there's a, there's a, there are rules. There are more rules mm. to that maybe, yeah. particularly with the short story form. Totally. And maybe a neatness that I'm not striving for in my essays. Right. And nor are you obliged to strive for, I don't think. But yeah, there is a certain neatness to a story. Like it has an arc. It yeah. needs to be fulfilling or something. I don't know. Do you have to take like substantial time away from it and then look at it again or if you can afford that like time wise um yeah this podcast is now about <laughs> <Yeah>. me um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> um you know the last the last story i wrote full um <clears throat> i had this manic week where i wrote about three stories in three nights <laughs> um and the the last one that i finished uh i wrote it in the one night edited it the next morning and i haven't looked at it again and I think it's done. <laughs> and it's perfect. I think it's going to I be. Wanna... <laughs> it's going to be in the New Yorker. I don't mean to brag. <laughs> no, um, but <clears throat> it depends because then there's stories like that. I'll I've been working on this story about a marathon for like over a year, like eighteen months. So Have you like, read Leslie Jamison's essay on the marathon runners? No. Oh yeah, that you should read that if you want to. Like, I will read that. I will read Leslie Jamison's essay on the runners, and I'll be like, oh, why do I, why do I bother? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So so yeah, I think in terms of essays, I don't really write essays. Mm. I'm yeah. I don't know if there's. I don't. I don't really. Yeah, I, I I often find that what I want to engage with are, are feelings, and I think that's often done better in in fiction. Mm. Yeah. Do you do you consider? I don't know because sometimes fiction can almost be essay like, and there's a blur there too. And maybe maybe I'd like to ask, like, do you do you see that 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 blur sort of between nonfiction and fiction? Do you find them distinct? How do you differentiate between them? (laughs) Um, you talking about like kind of like memoir? Because I feel like. 
Do you mean like kind of memoiry essays versus? I mean in, in general. Like when you yeah. approach a text that's – like do you read much fiction or are you mostly also interested in reading essays? Oh, I read some fiction. I mostly read nonfic at the moment. Um, but I don't really care too much about the distinction. Like mm-hmm. I th- yeah, I think a lot of the fiction that I do enjoy reading is maybe based on like, you know, autobiographical stuff. Um, and it's pretty blurred. Yeah. I don't really care. Or this idea of like fidelity to the truth. Like, I don't know. I'm not too invested in that. I'm um, even, even in like writing my essays, like I'm not making stuff up, but obviously stuff's like n- not even embellished, but just kind of warped or like distorted through your memory or whatever. Like right. that's so obvious. Well, the more, a, the more you remember something, the less real it is, the more constructed it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the more attached you become to like the image you have of it in your head as opposed to whatever reality there was to begin with. Yeah, I really, yeah, the distinction isn't like a huge deal for me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, I think, I think, I think that's sound. And I feel like people obsess over... Like, you know, if something is a totally accurate account or not and feels a bit moot to me. But maybe that's because my stakes are so low at the moment. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I guess the the place where it sort of becomes important is in the news, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's we probably want that to be true. And if you're yeah, looking absolutely. at something I'm like not- <laughs> The Economist, like it's – it's weird because there is that distinction, but maybe not in quote-unquote literary works. Maybe that's within that bracket. But then, then we talk about what's the distinction between literary and yeah. pure but recounting. And When I talk about not caring about the distinction and non, like with nonfiction, I'm just talking about like memoir-style stuff mm-hmm. and like essays and that kind of thing. Obviously, I'm not advocating for like fake I'm news. Not, I'm not advocating <laughs> for lies. <laughs> Yeah. I guess I guess for me, for me for me and I don't know where you fall on this but I think the the key is context and are you are you misleading people like right. purposefully it, Yeah well yes absolutely Like that's really Try it, not right? to <laughs> Are you being a dick Yeah and you really have to examine that <laughs> Yeah yeah it's part of it's part of the writer's process is um examining whether or not you're being a dick Mhm <laughs> Um, speaking of dicks, go on. Uh, you moved to Melbourne. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, Um, I did. No, I like Melbourne. Um, Melbourne has good people in it, but I I do want to talk to you because I think like I try to avoid this topic a lot on the podcast, this sort of topic of how's Brisbane different from Melbourne? What's it like being an artist Also a distinction I don't care for. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Oh yeah. And well, maybe. And I, and I, I, cause I say this, but on the other hand, I just, I go to Melbourne maybe three or four four five times a year that's, that's a lot frequent yeah i go to you melbourne the place you go to melbourne like once a quarter i go to a quarter <laughs> 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 okay. once a, once every financial quarter <laughs> i go down and i write it off on my tax um that's not what i do i don't do that um i should do that but um yeah people are kind of obsessed with this idea of brisbane-ness particularly within the arts and mm. I guess I'd like to hear from the horse's mouth, from someone who mm. you sort of grew up. I mean, you, you've got all three worlds. You grew up like in proper country town mm. and then you studied here in Brisbane. When did you move to Brisbane? 
I moved in 2000, at the end of 2008. Okay, so you were still in high school then? Or I just graduated. I was 17. Just graduated. Yeah. Okay, cool. Think, and then you did university here? Well, yeah, I came here for to work first because back then you had to, I don't know, maybe it's the case now, you had to work for a year in order to get youth allowance from the government. Like you, yeah, you there just are a lot of weird away. rules around youth allowance. Yeah, I'm not up to date with them now, but. Certainly then I had to study, uh, rather work full time for a whole year in order to get the youth allowance while I was studying or like I'm study, whatever it was. So I worked in a law firm for a year full time and it was kind of hell and, you know, put me in the right frame of mind to study. And then I did a year of arts at UQ um, and then I switched over to drama at QUT and then I did a few electives in writing and like didn't even go well at all. But I think I just responded well to the lecturers in writing. So like just changed degrees after that. Mm-hmm. Which which lecturers? Let's give them shouts. <laughs> I think it was um, – yeah, I think it was Kari. I was yeah. like so hoping it would be, absolutely yeah. it was Kari. Kari and I think, awesome. And I think actually the other subject was screenwriting and I actually really I did. I need to email Kari Gislason. <laughs> you should do that now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. mid-podcast break, <laughs> I just need to email Kari this last No, go on. Um, and then the other subject was screenwriting, which um, I actually didn't love. I can't remember the name of the lecturer, um, but I enjoyed the content. Um, so I was like, I must have been in a really bad space because just that was enough to make me totally shift degrees. <laughs> yeah, and then I just started writing a yeah, QUT. Yeah, wonderful. So was that one of Kari's non-fiction subjects that you were that shifted you over or was it actually um, a fiction subject it was one of the non-fic ones i can't remember exactly what it was though it might have changed by now yeah. creative non-fiction i can't imagine i would have done that off the bat maybe i did it's yeah. a first year subject is it yeah. it might have been that then yeah. this is yeah. lo- local qt podcast talk <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah um so anyway but so you moved to Brisbane in 2008. You graduated in 2014. Yes. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, 2014, because that's when we briefly met. Was um, it at the end of that year? It was at the end of 2014. Oh, yeah, it was too. So about three years ago, we would have briefly met. I love that met. Like, you have been telling us so funny. You're like, yeah, Rosie and I have such a strange history of being like shortlisted. I'm like, you won that award. Yeah, but I'm not a dickhead. <laughs> no, it's dicky. It's dicky. I don't like withhold that info. Is every, it? Yeah, Dickie are just purely to me. I'm like, I know you won. You're parading being like the good guy oh, in front right. of only me. You're right. And I'm I have to keep that to you. myself. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, okay. Here's the thing. I, I kicked Rosie's ass <laughs> in 2014. But you know what? I, I threw her to the side of the curb. <laughs> I didn't know who you were. I could care. Like, yeah. What do you want from me? <laughs> But you wrote fiction, right? Yeah. Oh, so did I. That's crazy. Mine was fiction as well. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. My story was about, <laughs> it's so corny. It was about my time in LA and, like, falling in love with my Airbnb host. That's what I, like, spun a story out I of. I didn't know Airbnb was around in 2014. Big time. Yeah, wow. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I went with that idea. I'm stoked. You know what? Stoked I didn't win that. Glad it's not out in the world. Because it would have been. <laughs> you it did me a real favor. Brow. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah my, I, the lifted brow is a. It's a weird. Cho- it, well, well, that prize doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. 
No. That's such a shame. It just vanished. It's a whole to do. Um, let's expose QT on this podcast. Hey, QT, put that award back. Um, That's so, yeah. yeah, it just vanished. The staff didn't say anything to what? us. Kat Gibson, who won it the year after I did, put up a petition and she's like, I can't even win this award. Please put it back in. Yeah, yeah. And then we all supported the petition. It was a whole thing. Um, I'm cool. Yeah. So it was a bit weird, but I have a feeling that based on that feedback, it'll probably come back this year. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, which will be nice. And maybe it'll be called a different thing and I'll enter. <laughs> you should. We should um, both enter again. We should both enter again. Why not? Why not? You don't even go here. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, anyway, um, that award vanished. What were we talking about? The fact that I'm a Oh, dickhead. yeah, so I graduated at the end of 2014. You graduated at the end of 2014. Yeah, and then I exposed you for being a bit of a dick. You exposed <laughs> me for being awful. Just a vile s- substitute for a person. Um, Jesus. And then I did honors the next year. And then you did honors in 2015? Yeah. And then did you shift down to Melbourne right after graduating honors? Or? No, I stuck around for a few months. Uh, and was just kind of wrapping up my job at Palace Cinemas. Oh, yeah. What a, what a great <laughs> <Good> establishment. Place, <laughs> right? uh, I was like very at the end of my tether there. And I was really, I mean, yeah, aimless. And I still am, but I'm now just aimless in Melbourne. So I, I moved in July. Mm-hmm. And so off of a year, over a year in Melbourne. Yeah. What do you think are the differences, are there any differences? None at all. <laughs> yeah. They're the same city. <laughs> so just generally, what are the differences between the two? What are the differences between the two as sort of an artist and a, and a writer? Because yeah. obviously like all the literary mags, for instance, are based down there. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's a feeling of being amongst it. Um, I don't know if that counts for anything other than like, Maybe in Brisbane I, f- I just felt a bit – not that I had maxed out my opportunities here. Like I really hadn't. I really hadn't put anything out there, but I still had that premature sense of reaching the ceiling. Again, not that I had, but I just like was preempting that. So like moved quite prematurely to be honest. Like I certainly haven't enjoyed my time in Melbourne and I always <laughs> want to tell people Jesus. this because I think it's like – you know, it's got this real allure, like, yeah, I moved to Melbourne. Like, lots of people in Brisbane talk about that. Um, or they, or there's this kind of reverse snobbery, like, no way would I fucking move to Melbourne. Like, um, but, yeah, it certainly hasn't been smooth or a blast or anything. Um, you know, there's a few, obviously, there's opportunities. Like, I did an internship with the Lifted Brow. Yeah, cool. So there's stuff like that that's available. Um, but I, I'm, not, I'm not capitalizing on it as much as I should be. Um, but do you feel a need to capitalize on it? Like does Melbourne, is there a pressure there to do that or? I think, yeah. And that is good. It's kind of like a welcome low key pressure where people are just, I don't think people are actually talking more about this. I think I'm just finally mixing with a crowd where they're just more openly talking about their practice or like praxis yeah correct thank you for correcting me um or just like productivity or like um yeah I think I could get away with being lazier in Brisbane maybe because I wasn't confronted with other people's work ethics yeah so I'm really happy with that it hasn't changed my behavior yet but it is stressing me out in a good way in a way that'll hopefully ultimately (laughs) make me more productive yeah. Yeah, cool. 
Well, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we've single-handedly busted the Melbourne myth. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't regret moving. That's the thing. I'm like, I haven't 100% enjoyed my time, but I wouldn't wouldn't not move if I had my time over. Would you, you would have you not 100% enjoyed your time equally to how you would not 100% enjoy your time in Brisbane? Or are there certain extraneous factors? Are those just associated with moving and long-distance relationships? Yeah, or? it's more that. Um, I, don't, I just think I've – I don't know. Have you, do you, have you lived in Brisbane your whole life? Yeah, I was born, raised – Truly. Yeah. I wonder about people like you. Like if I, <laughs> if I felt a sense of claustrophobia after seven years here – I hate this talk that's so anti-Brisbane. No, like, no, no, no. This is why I go to Melbourne Quarterly. You get yeah, this thing that okay. I call Brisbane. <laughs> okay. You get Brisbane where like you're like, oh, shit. Um, mm. This is like a, like if you put like a small country town into like Photoshop and you dragged it by the corner and made it bigger. <laughs> like that's where you it's are just, in Brisbane, yeah. particularly within the arts because, you know, you see the same people at the same places and whatnot. And because mm. it's a small community within a small community, within an incredibly stratified city in terms of sort of population distribution, it begins to get claustrophobic. Yeah. Like, I mean, on the other hand, you were here for seven years, but I've only been an adult here for four years. Okay. So that's valid. Yeah. So like my, my clock is ticking. Yeah. <laughs> And do you think, like, would you make the move soon? Like, is that um, I don't know if it would be to Melbourne. Um, Interesting. But, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to live somewhere else after graduation. Are you still – what are you – are you still studying? <laughs> oh, my God. Here we go. It's all coming <laughs> Sorry. Uh, are you doing honours or something? No, 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 no. I'm still, I'm still plugging my way through the undergrad. I'm like you. Oh, amazing. I'm, I messed up. <laughs> I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> I messed up. How I messed you... up my schedule as well as you, yes. like, like you did and jumped That'll... around subjects and degrees and all that stuff. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. I think it's fine. There's I, no I, rush. I, I don't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, my clock is definitely set, particularly, particularly after sort of doing this, you know, doing house conspiracy. It's like, oh yeah, cool. As in, this feels really achievable. Now you've done it. Like, what's next, kind of thing. Like, oh, you want to do this in another city? <laughs> Doing this in another city would be such an undertaking because this is, as I've spoken to you about, and I've spoken sort of on this podcast about before. Like, this is such a a fluke of circumstance that this can happen. And yeah. Like, so grateful for that fluke, but like acknowledging of it. Um, no, it's kind of like, yeah, like if this sticks around, you know, after after I exit the project, like that's the mark on Brisbane mm, made. Mm. And it's like, all right, now That's your go, physical mark. Now go fuck shit up everywhere <laughs> else. <laughs> um, hey, uh, Rosie, thanks for uh, interviewing me. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks, thanks for uh, turning this podcast on its head. Um, you were worried about us uh, running out of things to say, but we've just hit 50 minutes. Have we truly? Yeah. Although, you know, we'll cut some of that shit at the start or ask you about your hair. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's good content. It's great audio. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Rosie's headshot is now a lie on the oh, website. Oh, yeah. How harrowing are the shadows in my headshot? Did you notice that? Uh, yeah. It's or like did a, you fiddle with the contrast? I don't think I did. I do fiddle with the contrast sometimes. I used to do it more. Now I'm sort <laughs> okay. of like, I'll just Turn let the contrast be as it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let the shadows fall. A lighter hand is always good. <laughs> yeah, you know, too many chefs. Yeah. Um, spoil the broth. Um, hey, is there anywhere people can find you online, follow your, your praxis? 
Uh, <laughs> I have nothing professional online. You can still follow me on Twitter though. Yeah, it's just, right. ro- it's just Rosie Funder. Um, but I should, I should get a professional Twitter and I sh- also, your YouTube, Twitter is your professional I have a YouTube, mm, you think? <laughs> it has to be. No one has two Twitters. Really? No. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. I guess I just have to like it's clean, Facebook clean it up a like little. Two things. No, 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 no. Yeah, you just, everyone have has you weird Twitters. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. All right. You raise, you've seen Jack Venning's tweets? <laughs> yeah, but did you see that he like didn't get funding because of a tweet? Unless that was like a lie and I'm just, again, being incredibly gullible and like uh, falling for fun and stuff for that. I don't know if Jack Venning's ever told the truth. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to play him this podcast. <laughs> Please do. I miss, I miss that good boy. I'll tell him you say hi. Yeah, cool. I mean, I'll probably, yeah. Yeah, no, please tell him. Just tell him I said hi in podcast. Well, if you form. see him first, you tell him I say hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe he's getting airtime. Yeah, fucking, that guy doesn't deserve any airtime. Hey, write something, dickhead. <laughs> oh. All right. Um, now that we've done the call out segment of the podcast, uh, Plugging Jack. Plugging Jack Venning. Um, Jack, no one scumbag Venning. Um, All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jonathan. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org slash donate, and you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening.